Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined not only by Brian Joyner of BP Boston, but we are joined again by Evan Drellick of CSN New England. Uh, Evan and Brian, how are we doing today? I'm all right. How are you guys? We're living in a in a um, a very interesting time period for the Red Sox, so it's uh, it's always interesting. I have to say that. Do, do tell. Do tell. Um, uh, so. I don't know if you agree with this, guys, but I feel like my Red Sox uh, hopes and dreams have gone up and down more in the last week than they have at any other point in the season. So we recorded this same podcast last week, uh, and I was asked, um, you know, or I guess I was on a different podcast, someone else's podcast last week, and I was asked how I thought the season would kind of finish up for these guys, and I predicted a double-digit um, division win at that point. And now that seems ridiculous. Yeah, I, I mean, I was always, and maybe just blindly, but I, I just never thought uh, the division would really separate, at least not at this point in the year, because of the lack of power in the offense. And I know they look good kind of right before the break, right before the Rays series. They, you know, they, they, they were really, they were playing well and everybody was hitting, but it just, it never struck me that way. I know Steve Buckley had said on, I think it was Sports Sunday and CSN. He thought they'd win by nine games, but uh, I just, I, I just never felt that way with, with the way the offense has been. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I mean, the offense has been um, abysmal, uh, pretty much the worst in baseball, uh, or or bottom five in baseball at least for the last month or so. So, it it is kind of shocking that uh, it has been this bad all year. I remember when we had you on the show. I guess it would have been towards the end of April. Uh, you surmised that it was going to be, you know, a top five offense in the AL. Um, what do you think's changed in regards to that? Uh, my ability to analyze a baseball team, clearly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was for a while, the guy saying this offense is fine, this offense is fine. It is fine. I, I think we, we got, you know, the, the how we characterize it's important. They're not a bad offense. The problem is, I, I kind of expected based on last year, more power to show up because there simply was more power last year. But at a certain point, um, probably going back about a month now, I, I did finally realize, okay, the power's not there. They're great at getting on base, but it's just, um, you, know, you keep saying they're going to get hot, they're going to get hot, and they haven't in terms of the slugging. So I, I guess I was just waiting for last year, and it, and it never showed. Right. Yeah. And that's that's part of the whole you can take David Ortiz's numbers out of the equation from last year um, and then still look at the numbers and be like, hey, you know, they're going to be OK even without him. But obviously that was more of a monumental change to the at bats other people are getting and uh, expecting other players to step up and um, his lack of a locker room presence, which is going to tie into what we're going to talk about in just a second here. But. All of that, I think, was a little bit understated with David Ortiz's loss uh, from last year. And a few guys aren't having quite the seasons that they had last season as well. You know, Hanley Ramirez is one that you can kind of point to there, uh, although he has been a little bit better as of late since uh, since you guys kind of called him out on his ability to hit lefties, right? Yeah, that was strange, wasn't it? The, the Ortiz narrative is one I've um, tried to be cautious with because I just I think it becomes a little bit too easy of a catch-all explanation. I know you're not using it that way, but the I, I just don't see his 
absence is the reason why the other the 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 incumbents the guys who were here last year which is most of the lineup aren't living up to it right like does it really explain regression from different guys and you've got health situations going on uh it, clearly he his impact goes beyond his numbers we, we know that just in terms of lineup presence i don't think we you know some people might argue there's no intangible with that i th- i think most people would, would agree that there is mm-hmm. but but there's more at play it's it, there's more at play than just david right yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think there's a number of guys you could point to. And, um, you know, I think Xander Bogarts is much more hurt than uh, anybody is admitting in that locker room. And I think you could probably speak to that a little bit more. But it just seems like this guy has never been able to get fully healthy this year, whether it was the hand that was bothering him early on or the myriad of it, injuries that's bothering him now, the hand, the groin. Um uh, he just has not looked like himself, even his first half self, uh, at any point this year. It's either been the average has been there or the power hasn't been there. Have you noticed that things have been off with him? Well, it's hard not to. I right? just, just statistically, uh, somebody recently sent me a, a player A, player B comparison, and uh, it was kind of frighteningly similar between Eduardo Nunez and Xander Bogarts. And it, it, it was a little striking to look at because you don't expect that. Right. Um, and it's the health is what everybody's wondering. We know he's been bothered by it, but the, the and we'll, we'll see if he ends up on the DL. Um, but, but so far the message has been that he doesn't need it. And it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to believe that watching him and, and watching recent performance. But you also know that, or, or certainly want to believe that if if he were hurt, that they would put him on the DL. It just it, it, there'd be no reason not to. I can't I can't really fathom why they would somehow try to force him to play through it, or why he would force himself to if he's hurt. So, you know, I guess we're gonna find out here coming up. I think if his performance continues to be the you know 141 average he's had in July. Uh, you you got to do something. I mean, at the very least, you give Eduardo Nunez playing time if you're not going to DL Bogarts. Yeah, I would think that that would be a huge opportunity coming up real real soon here, especially with them likely, well, I would assume, and we'll talk about this a little later in the show, but I would assume that they're going to want to give Devers a little bit more run that they would have that opportunity to put Nunez at shortstop and spell Bogarts for you know, a 14-day DL stint or a 10-day or whatever he needs to kind of get his health right and it seems like that would be in the best interest of the team for sure going forward especially for a team that looks to you know have its eyes on the postseason that seems to make a lot of sense yeah i agree and and we'll we'll see if that what the roster move ends up being um it's got to be you figure that or marrero it would be unlike them to kind of just let holt go in favor of marrero someone who could they, they could keep you know, when given the choice of retaining talent in the organization, you almost always retain the talent, right? So that leads to to an obvious candidate for demotion in Marrero. But again, with Bogarts, as you just said, uh, maybe maybe a deal stands what he needs. Well, let's get to the elephant in the room here. Um, the 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 biggest topic that we want to talk to you about is surrounding the Price, Eckersley, uh, John Farrell situation uh, that has been all the news since Shaughnessy broke the story, finally telling us 
what exactly happened between Dennis Eckersley and David Price. Um, you are the best guest that we could possibly have on for this because you were the first uh, source of Price's ire this year um, when he took you aside yeah. and kind of got into a shouting match with you about uh, this whole thing. Um, so I want to ask you, what have you made of this whole situation, everything that came to light with uh, Dan Shaughnessy's article and him kind of explaining exactly sort of the bully that David Price was acting like? Um, and does this give you any sense of sort of vindication from anybody that, you know, maybe doubted that, you know, you weren't in the wrong in that situation or anything like that? Because it's clear that there's a little bit of a pattern here of David Price wanting to put people on blast and, and do so publicly. So for me, before the, the Shaughnessy story came out, some of those details have kind of circulated amongst media members. And, and I'd mentioned this on the radio and, and had a caller call in and say, wait, you knew this and you didn't report it. And it, no, it's not nearly, nearly close to that. Um, I, I did not have firsthand information uh, you know, third-hand information and then multiple sources. So it wasn't something uh, I was I would have been able to report. Uh, and and certainly Shaughnessy had had more details anyway. Um, but from having gone through my own experience with him and then hearing about the uh, the, the Eckersley incident, it, once the Shaughnessy story came out and there was this great reaction to it, it was a little. It, it, I, I realized kind of how much the those I guess the outside is the way to put it but how much I guess the general public didn't know because it was the reaction was surprising to me I was like wait what did you guys think happened and and I and that was just I guess me being naive about it but um, you know it, it, it I had an understanding of, of what had gone on for for a bit of time, or at least a, a you know a, a general sketch, and it kind of fit in with what, what happened with me, and uh, so I, I guess it was my reaction to it was oh na people really didn't get it, I, and I, and I guess I didn't understand that people didn't get it, didn't understand the I didn't understand that the public didn't fully grasp the nature of what had gone down, and you know that's on me in, in some respect, right? Like what 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 bubble am I in that I didn't realize that but you know just giving you my honest reaction mm -hmm. to the Shaughnessy story that's that's what it was it was oh now they get it well I guess um, from somebody being on the outside of that whole uh, circle there um, when I heard about your situation and it was described as sort of a one-on-one -on -one that was close enough to the uh, the locker room and the reporters that everybody could kind of hear that, but it was like kind of a one-on-one -on -one discussion. Is that correct? So there's a hallway at Yankee Stadium. The visitor's club asks when you walk in. Everybody walks through the hallway. Price was waiting for me as all the media filed in, so it was very clear you know, to, to, to those who saw him kind of ask me, kind of plucked me away from the group. But then we did not go into the clubhouse. We were still on the outside of the clubhouse. Okay. The media, the media went into... Um, the rest of the media went into Farrell's room, which was not far, but there's a door there that gets closed normally. And then there's a second door that was closed, I believe, by Red Sox PR once we started having this discussion. And the discussion progressively got more heated uh, to the point that people did hear it and knew what was going on. 
Um, and but, but nobody overheard any of that discussion, maybe outside of a couple tiny snippets. But so so it was clear, and Price made it clear he wanted it uh, known that he was taking me to task, or however you, you want to put it. Although it didn't start out quite like that, except for the fact that he was waiting for me as everybody filed in. So it was, it was pretty. It was it was also a grandstanding moment, and and not quite to the degree I think that the Eck thing was. Um, but then what happened after that is a, a little while later. I did go into the clubhouse, and Price was in the clubhouse. And I think the only reporter left at that point was Steve Buckley. And then Price and I again kind of briefly engaged, and that's where Rick Porcello was involved, um, where I, I, I said to Price, I don't think you're being professional. Porcello shot back at me, you're not being professional. And that was the anecdote that Buckley used um, and kind of the part that he witnessed. So the, the, the kind of core incident was not in the locker room itself. Um, it was outside of it. And then we went back in. If that, if that, if that's the play by play diagram, that makes any sense. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. And I think that, um, the more one-on-one aspect of that, even though it was a little bit more public, um, than I think anybody, you certainly would have liked, I think, um, that was kind of how I think most of the public envisioned the Eckersley incident. Like, I don't think any of us, when we heard the details, thought that this was something that was done in such a grandstanding way. And I think that was what really took me um, by surprise when I wrote, read that narrative was the fact that, you know, he made a point to be like, hey, here's the greatest pitcher alive in front of everybody. And then the fact that it was such like a group sort of gang up uh, when he tried to walk to the front of the plane. Um, and every time he'd talk, they'd say, you know, get the F out of here or whatever. I mean, that coupled with the applause of the players just made me think like, wow, like this is something different. This is this is clearly a, a different and more sort of, I don't know if I want to say more severe, but certainly like a more public berating of uh, a figure who I, I think is great at his job, I'm a beloved figure in, in Dennis Eckersley. And I think that's what shocked people so much there was just the nature of how it was done and who it was done to. Um, It it was just really bizarre. I've never heard anything like that. And you've covered baseball for a while. Have you ever encountered anything? And what did you think when those, well, I guess you you knew the details, but what did you think about the way he went about that? Yeah, I I, I didn't know every detail. I hadn't heard every detail. I didn't really know anything, right? It was all just kind of third-hand information. Um, you're right. I, on on EEI, uh, we we had Kurt Schilling on, and he said in his time he'd never heard of something like that. It, it, you know, as a reporter, I I would like I want to be able to have conversations with people who are unhappy with coverage, and you hope that people understand what they shouldn't shouldn't be unhappy with right that, that kind of the that they have an that, that they have a reasonable understanding of how the job works uh that doesn't mean that at times we in the media don't go too far with things or you know you can do something you don't even realize is going to tick people off etc you want to be able to have that free flow of information the problem is i think in this situation Eck had clearly uh, drawn some ire from the clubhouse if not on mass it was a significant portion anyway right and passive aggressiveness builds up it, it you know clearly there were guys who had all these issues and that didn't 
say anything, and uh, Price maybe had more issues than, than others, but you have this build-up, and then Price decides to speak on behalf of everyone else. Well, even if you want to have like one guy kind of be the, I don't know, spokesperson or whatever, it's it's merely the manner... The issue is, is how you go about it. it, it just, it's just not the right way to do it. And anybody in the media, I think anybody, forget the media, anytime you have a situation where somebody's unhappy, wouldn't you prefer it to be kind of handled directly rather than a buildup? You don't want the passive aggressiveness. You want it direct, uh, but you also don't want it to be, you know, uh, kind of this, this public undressing, which is what Price uh, made it into per the, per the Shaughnessy report. Um, which you know really hasn't been refuted in any way. So it's you know it, on some level it's better to say something than nothing, but it, that's not the right way to say something. Right, and I think that Brian, you you wrote about this a little bit this week at over the monster when your reaction to the the whole price situation and and just sort of how it was handled. What were your thoughts on that uh, as you know a fellow? clubhouse outsider i guess you know who covers the red sox from outside the clubhouse what were your exact thoughts on how that was handled i mean uh, so, oh it wasn't for me okay yeah i thought i was going crazy sorry <laughs> you can you can correct me if i'm wrong evan but i mean it just get the sense that the team at least the players and maybe even john farrell don't care slash agree with price on this and that I get the sense that any backtracking they're doing is simply for PR purposes. Um, I don't know if that's right, but that's the impression I get. You, uh, yeah, I think that they're, they're, the reactions, yes, there, there's definitely an element of that. Um, I also have a baseline feeling that most people know right from wrong right kind of know the right way and the wrong way to treat people you know kind of forget media player it's just how do you show respect in conversation and professional dealings any of that and uh you know i'd like to think john farrell knows that i it's i'd be surprised if he didn't um and i think most people you want to believe that most people in that room could look at David Price and go, you know what? This is the wrong way to handle it. It's just, it's, it's just kind of a right and wrong, plain thing to me. Um, and decency is the word I keep. Decency, respect is the thing I keep going back to. And I, I'm sure there are people who want to say something but haven't. And it's just, you wonder uh, at what point does the decency part of it weigh out, uh, or is it really just? know for pr does sam kennedy who acknowledged on the radio a little while ago that uh, you know he apologized to eckersley is he now coming out and talking about this because uh, because he has to or you know it's you do wish they'd that the, you would like it that they got out in front of it more right that would that would be preferable and they they certainly have not done a good job of doing that and in general they um they don't. They seem to have a bit of a track record of, of letting things uh, until until it kind of boils over. They, they don't really address a variety of issues. It doesn't have to be this kind of thing. Um, even something as simple as health situations. 
they they just kind of sweep things under the rug a bit. But um, I, I still want to maintain faith that most people, even if they don't say so, know right from wrong here. So I, I think one of the things that's bothered me most about this situation is John Farrell and the way that he has not handled the situation. And I think that that's a fair classification of it is not handling the situation. Um, I think that in, in the case of um, you know, price going after you. I think you can talk to this more, um, but it doesn't seem like he directly addressed price about not doing that. Um, and then when the Eckersley situation went down, he didn't step in and say like, Hey man, this is not the way you handle this particular situation. This is not conduct becoming of the Red Sox organization. Um, X somebody we need to respect. None of that. He's completely been on the side of the players and then what's most egregious about Farrell is that he gets on a show like WEI yesterday uh, when he did his interview I believe that was yesterday um, and he basically insults our, all of our intelligence by doing these you know these little quips and these answers that are um, they don't tell us anything you know basically like yeah this is totally normal player behavior and I, I can't remember the quote but basically just like um, he was essentially saying that this season in this situation is really like no different than other situations that he's seen in the past. And it very clearly is. And I think that the buck kind of stops with the manager here to handle these types of disciplinary situations. And when they're not handled that way and when the players feel like they're above reproach and they can't, um, they can't be criticized and they can take media to task, I think you start creating a pretty dangerous situation in your locker room. Jake, let so, me just say one yeah, thing. Yeah, go, go ahead, Brian. Let me just say one thing. Forgetting everything else, if you just take the facts of what Farrell said, he has also overseen some disasters of teams. Sure. So, yeah, you have seen it before, but those were really bad situations too. Right. So it's clear to me – well – you it, you could very easily make the argument, uh, and it's the way I see it right now, that Farrell doesn't have control of the clubhouse. The follow-up there is, would another manager, um, or, or is it simply a, a situation where you, you need to have the right mix of players? Um, and Schilling talked about that today, and, it, and it's a question I've, I've been wondering. You know, if, if, if John Farrell wasn't here, is there somebody who, who would have this group you know, under control seems kind of the wrong phrasing, but this is one I keep going back to. I guess it's the easiest way to explain it. Um, and I'm not, I'm just not sure because you have a $217 million pitcher. And if, if he's kind of, um, what are you going to do at a certain point? Um, and I, I guess maybe there could be a different managerial personality that, that would get through. Uh, you know, you wonder it it did not happen when David Ortiz was here. I mean, that's, that's, that's hard to miss that but but you know you wonder if that was because Ortiz was here or was that because price kind of hadn't hit that breaking point and you know with Farrell that interview on, on EEI it, it, leading up to it he, he really just kind of said you know we addressed it and we're moving on and it was interesting to me that he did take and answer as many questions as he did it wouldn't have shocked me if he just kind of said again guys we're moving on you know I, I got nothing more to say than this and he didn't do that um, and he also, when asked about Price, didn't jump to his defense right away. You know, when it, when 
he was asked if he's a leader, he kind of backed into, yeah, he's a leader, but it took it took a second. It wasn't a direct, of course. Um, it, it, there was another question related to Price that uh, he didn't he didn't get to at the end that, that kind of suggested he wasn't really fully defending Price anymore, and the fact that he was willing to talk about it at all. But but then again, you're right; he's kind of trying to toe this line, uh, and and it's like. He knows he needs the players to like him, or else he's out on his ass, right? And, you know, he could end up being that way anyway. He's a lame duck going into next year if he doesn't get another extension. So uh, it, it does seem like like a tough position for Farrell. I, I don't um, – I put more on price than I do Farrell, but it, it, it makes it quite easy at the end of the year if you're Dombrowski to say, all right, we, you know – I don't know if a new voice is going to work, but this voice isn't. Um, that 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 would be a very reasonable tack to take. But again, they're in first place. It's just like, you know, you, you, I always circle back to the question of how much does this stuff matter, and uh, you know, you wrestle with it because in the media and, and you know, uh, my places of work at EEI, at Comcast, the subject comes up all the time, and 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 I I do try to inject a little dose of perspective there with, um, you know, is this affecting wins and losses right now? Um, and that's, that's very difficult to tell. That's so I guess a follow-up question to that would be, how would you assess John Farrell's performance to this point in the year? Because like you said, it's really difficult to know how much the manager has to do with the fact that the Red Sox are in first place right now. And this is obviously an extremely talented team. You look at the roster up and down, the pitchers, the way that they're performing. Um, I think you could pretty easily make an argument that any manager, any major league manager could get the team to this point. And the overwhelming sense in Boston right now, and I think uh, everybody's kind of been feeling this, is that this is an underperforming first place team, if there is such a thing. Um, and one of the, the, the great things about John Farrell, um, dating back to the 2013 team, everybody said what a great communicator he was in the locker room. Um, clearly this year, um, he's fallen short of being that great communicator, that great, uh, you know, sort of mediator of people. Um, that's been one of his biggest failings this year. Another criticism of him in the past has been his on-the-field decisions, um, you know, bullpen usage, game situations, that type of thing. That stuff has been better this year, um, but that communication piece has taken a step back. So if you were to grade him right now, you know, how would you rate him as a manager and how much do you feel like he has positively or negatively impacted this year's team? Jake, I just want to say that is an incredibly loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I gave Farrell a, I think it was a B. Uh, I think the all at the baseball show we did on Sunday on CSN. I guess it must have been right after the All Star game, either right before it or right after it. I was asked a question and I, I gave him a B, um, or somewhere in the B range. It definitely wasn't a B plus, either B or B minus. I think. Um, you know, again, he's in first place, and. I, you know, the bullpen, I think you have to give him a little bit of credit. I, I, I really hated how much credit Terry Francona got for the Indians' bullpen in the playoffs, and I always refer back to that because it's, it's kind of the flip side of it where it's like Andrew Miller's throwing the ball. T Tito's not throwing the ball. 
I, I, it, it just it just bugged the crap out of me because it goes both ways. It's just you know, these managers. Tito's got this such a likable, all shucks personality, you know, and I, I just I, I always try to put the majority of the credit on the guy throwing the ball. But you do have to, you know, managing workload is real, and that's something that goes with the pitching coach and not making sure you don't guys get guys too hot too much. I liked the fact that Farrell seemed to figure out that it's okay and smart to use Kimberl in the eighth inning. I was disappointed that he didn't seem to have the ability to convince Kimberl to keep doing that for a period in the first half. It looks like they're back to that now to some degree, but uh, it's pretty clear that the save is what's still driving the bus with Kimberl. And, and you understand why that is. It's, it's still important in the game, but, you know, Kimbrell's got a contract, and he's not going through arbitration. It, it, I, I don't see why it would be as important for him unless he's trying to set a record down the road in his career. Who knows? Um, but I, I liked that. I thought that was, for a time, impressive and then disappointing that he, he kind of lost the ability to use Kimbrell that way, and now we'll see how it goes the rest of the season. But um, you know, I, I would have a hard time giving any first-place manager a C and, 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 you know, this clubhouse stuff is glaring. It, it really is because it, it, it's the one thing you look to the manager to set the tone for. Um, and, and it really, it, it could be Farrell's downfall. It, it, and, and you can well argue that it should be. Uh, but I just, I, I can't bring myself to give a first place manager um, something in the C range. And the other aspect of it is, all right, how much is the hitting is he responsible for? Um, and I, I would I, I like the idea of Mookie out of the leadoff spot, but you know, I, you guys tell me. Do you put the the drop off and hitting on Farrell? I, I I don't know how you really can. No, and uh, just to echo what you said, I wrote this earlier in the year that even if the team was good, this was after the uh, the Ewan Price incident, that he. Farrell is very clearly a player's manager in some ways um, and also like a seems to me pretty rigid and like schedule wise uh, and I, that, I'm not talking about Kimberl specifically but when guys have off days and when guys have on days they seem to be pretty non-negotiable now that's just my perception um, from doing the lineups but at the same time this uh, it's just this constant gutter sniping that is the real problem. I mean, if we're sitting here debating whether we can uh, criticize a first place manager in a job that is, you know, there is some, there are many objectives you have to meet, but there's also a lot of, a lot of perception is reality type uh, stuff going on and it's all going bad for them right now. The crazy part, though, as you sort of are alluding to, is that two weeks ago, everything was fantastic. So who knows? And this story that came out uh, is about an incident that is a little bit older. So who knows? Uh, I, I have a separate question. I would like to just go back to the hitting part that we talked at the beginning uh, rather than speculate about this because I thought of it at the time but didn't get a chance to ask. Um, I vaguely remember at the beginning of the season there being some – and I'm asking Evan, and I think you'll know the answer. There, 
about how pieces about the Sox have changed their approaches, their approach, and that's why they weren't hitting homers. And one reason they maybe aren't doing so well is this is the wrong year to try that and the wrong era to try that. And that just went wrong. Uh, I don't know if that rings a bell or sounds like a plausible theory, but I'll uh, hang up and listen. <laughs> what, what, what I remember is a pitching. A, you know, Brian McPherson, um, who we miss dearly on the beat, uh, has moved on from the beat. Uh, but, but while he was still at the Projo, did a story on the pitching approach. And I believe it was, if I'm remembering right, on high heat. Um, but I don't remember a hitting approach change story. And I remember myself looking back at um, going to fan graphs. Sorry, am I allowed to say that? Oh, yeah. And looking at some of the uh, uh, plate discipline stuff and, and the contact rate and things like that. And I don't know what month this was. It was probably May. But it wasn't far off from last year that the, the – um, it, it did. I didn't detect, and grant, you know, it wasn't a scientific study, but, uh, and I can try to pull it up real quick now. But I don't think they entered the year with this great philosophical difference. You know, they were a high contact team a year ago too, and, and they remain that. Um, so, I, Brian, do you remember what it, what part of it, you thought had changed, or you read it changed? No, I think it's. I think I'm conflating Brian's article uh, with the high contact stuff I already knew uh, but again that doesn't seem like a good match for this sort of micro era that uh, we can maybe call the uh, umpteenth juice, juiced ball era if recent reporting is in fact correct um, it just right, seems I just, like I just pulled it up the so the Red Sox last year the highest contact percentage of baseball 81.6 and this year they're fourth at 80.2% so it, it, you know, it's not just just from that element alone. They were they're at a forty-four percent swing percentage, and last year we're at a forty-four swing percentage. So it's I, I don't know I don't know where it would be. Um, doesn't but mean I it think, didn't happen. I think my greater no, but I, I it's sort of not relevant. It's more relevant is uh, just the idea that let's talk about Xander. I just this is total pseudoscience but Xander was the one correct me if I'm wrong who was when asked what's the difference between last year and this year he's like well we don't have big poppy um, and then you're talking about why he might be a, might be it's speculation playing through something um, and then that you add that in with the fact that he is sort of a player that this era is not I mean, he is a guy who is a lot of contact with not a ton of power in an era where people can people I've never heard of can hit 28 home runs. Scooter um, Jeanette. No, I'm thinking of Scott Shebler. Okay. That dude. What? Scott Shebler? Okay. Anyhow. Sorry. It. Uh, I can see how – I don't think I actually have a question. I just see how Xander might be bummed out. That's it. Well <laughs> – it just pulled it up. Red Sox stats had a good tweet the other day um, about the percentage percentage of pitches out of the zone and in the zone 
that Bogarts is swinging at and how they're narrowing, that, that he was, he's starting to swing at fewer pitches in the zone and more out of the zone. Uh, and that, that's that been a trend of this year, which is, you know, that's alarming. Um, but what, just watching him, mean, it doesn't seem right. I, it, it, if this isn't health-related, it, it's pretty baffling. Um, and, you know, Moreland seems to be health-related, too. One scout I talked to recently said he, he thought it, even if the toe's not bothering him now, it's pretty clear his lower half me- mechanics have gotten out of whack. Um, and you know, the numbers reflect that, too. Um, I'm going to hop in here a little bit and ask about um, one more detail about the uh, the price plane situation, if, if that's all right. Sure. Um, so one of the things that... Um, came to light recently i think it was today um fred toucher uh tweeted out something about a source that he has that's close to the red sox that said that dustin pedroia was actually one of the loudest ones clapping on that plane and i know that um there's been some reports that benintendi seems to be a pretty close you know price disciple here and um Jackie Bradley Jr.'s had some issues with Eck in the past, and we know that Pedroia's issues with Eck are certainly probably related to the uh, the early season incident with Manny Machado in Baltimore. Uh, do you see like a clear group of or delineation in the clubhouse of kind of like price disciples and people who are kind of staying outside of the fray in regards to this whole situation? So I I don't see Benintendi. As, as part of the group. I don't know why. I think people just have been mentioning him because he's a young guy in the room. Uh, but he's – Benetton's a quiet kid. Uh, he really doesn't – you know, his, his quotes are usually pretty generic. He doesn't love the spotlight. Maybe he's warming up to it a tiny bit. But, you know, he's going to be the last guy, I would think, um, that would – you know, could he have clapped? Maybe. I don't – you know, the, the, the clapping part, that's kind of um, – that's a psychology lesson at a certain point, isn't it? Um, it, it yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I haven't seen that. You know, Jackie Bradley has always, you know, he had that the Instagram post with that, but outside of that, it, it, it's hard to see where that would be the case. You know, Price has a corner in the home clubhouse at Fenway um, that, you know, he kind of, he, he'll often just, you know, there's not many players in there at home. Um, and, and Price will sometimes just kind of sit there, and it it it, it feels like he's staking out territory, and, and, and the lockers are kind of close together, and there are people over there. It, it, it seems like a safe bet that Eduardo Rodriguez is under his wing, and you wonder how Erod feels about um, kind of Price as this defender of him, and and you know whether Erod feels he needs that um, type of thing. But it, it seems it is my belief. From my own interactions with Pedroia, uh, and my own interactions with Price, and what I observe that um, Price and Pedroia are aligned. Now, Rob Radford had a uh, report refuting that Pedroia was clapping. I, I think, kind of regardless of whether Pedroia was clapping or not, it's pretty clear that they're on this on a similar page, um, and it, with with dislike for criticism in the media. They the you know, I, earlier in the year, Pedroia, I, I was trying to, in the middle of the beanball stuff, was trying to ask him what I believe to be fair questions, and um, I would challenge anybody to say otherwise. Uh, and he didn't like it. And he, that's, that's when he gave the quote about 
can I go home now? I don't got time for this. And then the next day, he, he said, well, he said that night, you know, we're just trying to play baseball. Well, the next day, Chris Sale threw a pitch right behind Manny Machado. So there was more going on. And I think Pedroia, any, everybody knows Pedroia kind of put himself in a bad spot with the it's not me, it's them. And the, you know, I love Manny Machado, all that stuff, right? It's just, it was handled wrong. And then it became the media's fault for trying to talk to them about it. And, um, you know, I, I, I do think I am a little more willing to ask some of the, uh, let's face it, dickish questions than others. Uh, and, um, it, you know, with, with, with Price as well. Um, yeah, I even but go back I, to spring. <laughs> go ahead. I was just going to say that I would just draw a distinction between uh, just as a fan between Price and Pedroia. And Pedroia is certainly seems like he's being dickish himself at times. However, this is seems part of just the animating spirit of Dustin Pedroia and not out of character in some ways. I don't, there's just quick anecdote in Nate Silver's book. Nate goes up to Boston to talk to Pedroia schedules a meeting with Red Sox PR. And then he doesn't show and text says, sorry, I'm getting ready for the big league baseball game. Um, I think in a way the ch- it's a flip side of his uh, charm, uh, or at least could be read that way in most situations. It's also, from a fan's perspective, sort of earned in that way. Whereas I think the galling thing about Price, in on top of just acting like a jerk, um, and that's, I, I was going to ask you, I'm glad you said that it doesn't sound like anybody is pushing back against that uh, Shaughnessy's description of the incident is that he is everything sort of in not, he's not as bad as popular Sandoval, but he's everything bad about the certain type of contract he got. Uh, mine. I mean, he could be worse pitching, um, but outside of that, he's sort of the stereotype of the bad contract. And, uh, he right it seems to be like he rightfully feels like he earned his place in the clubhouse both in terms of what he gets paid and um the way he can act because he's free agent he literally did earn it but it doesn't seem to play anymore uh and just to circle back in a way that from the outside it seems like Pedroia has that it does play. Yeah, Pedroia, I keep going back to Schilling, but what he said is kind of mold, fits with the way I felt as well. Um, well. That's the thing about Schilling. There's an incredibly smart guy in there. Yeah, it, it, it's that um, Pedroia, you know, this idea of leadership, and I've, all year, even before all this stuff happened, I, I tried to kind of delineate the types of leadership. But you talk about being a leader. Well, there's different types of leadership. You have guys behind the scenes, you know, kind of the day-to-day example setters, and there are people who have conversations with players, and then there's the leadership of being the forward-facing public figure, the media go-to guy, if, if, if that guy exists, which I think does help teams when it does exist. Um, and Pedroia very clearly does not want to be that type of leader. Um, and, and by all accounts has been a, a, a by-example leader. Uh, with his, you know, his his preparation and the hustle and the grit and all that crap. Um, but that stuff is real with him, right? This is just the, the gamer attitude that he has. But 
and, and it, he he did seem to be kind of thrust into the okay, well he's going to be the forward facing guy now role, and it just doesn't seem to be a role he wants. Um, well, who I, is who has that role, and is it just vacant so Price is going to scoop in and try to take it because he can? Well, has he taken it because I mean. Depends on how you look at that role. I guess he's a tone setter, but um, you know, after every loss, if the offense doesn't do well, it, it it's not clear to those of us in the media or who do we talk to these days. Usually, it ends up being one of Mookie. I would say more often Bogart or Jackie Bradley, um, but it, it, kind of one of those younger three ends up being the guy. Uh, Pedroia is not as frequently at his locker after the game. He's kind of a get in, get out. You know, gets the, I think he gets there very early, but he'll often leave quicker um, than others. So, you know, he, he's not a, I'm waiting at my locker after every loss to address any questions the media might have. And, and not every locker room has that, and I'm not saying every locker room needs to have that. Um, but, that you know, that figure doesn't exist. Ortiz wasn't that way either, to be clear. Uh, it's not like every game David would talk, uh, but it, it was kind of... It, it was a little more clear that if things are, you know, a four-game losing streak, which they didn't even have last year, right? You would know, or you're looking for Ortiz. And I, I do believe Pedroia spoke after uh, the fourth loss. Um, so he is there at, at moments, but I, I just, I think he's not as readily available for that type of stuff. Evan, you mentioned Mookie as, as one of the guys that you, the media have been going to after games, as well as Xander and, and Jackie. It, it seems clear to me, um, you know, that, um, Mookie should be kind of that guy to step up as I think the best player on the Red Sox roster. I know that he's only 24 years old and he he seems to have a little bit more of a quiet personality. But at what point, when you know in the foreseeable future, it seems like this is a guy that the the Red Sox are going to move heaven and earth to lock up long term and seems to be the future face of the franchise. At what point does Mookie need to shoulder that responsibility and become that vocal guy in the locker room? It, it, it's tough on some level because, you know, if you were to say, all right, who's a better quote? Who would you rather talk to? Of those three, Mookie's at the bottom. I'd, I'd rather talk to Xander if I had to rank it, just in terms of who might actually say something interesting or kind of candid, you know, honesty. Um, we go Xander, Jackie. And I'd put those two kind of close together. Um, and then it would be Mookie. He just doesn't say much. And I think the media would always still go talk to him, but it, there is a little bit of a chicken and the egg question there. Um, I, I guess if he was standing at his locker after every game waiting, um, the media would, would, would go to him. And it's not like he's not available, but it has not, you know, th- those things can kind of hit a rhythm um, post game. And, and it, it, there, it, it doesn't feel to me that there's been a rhythm. I, I was not on the most recent road trip. So, I, I, you know, if that's changed, I don't know. But, um, you know, when they were home last, a player I remember going to most in this part because of the, 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 the amazing catch was, was Jackie Bradley. Um, but, yeah, it, it, you, you would think. But, you know, Jackie Bradley could easily be that guy too, right? I mean, he, he's he's... Mookie is the best player of the group, but you know you don't want to diminish the other two. Although Xander lately, he's certainly fallen off. Yeah, I think that that's 
that's fair. You can't kind of make a guy be someone that he's not. And that's sort of what I've heard from media people in terms of uh, Dustin Pedroia. You know, I think it was Bradford who was saying on WEI, like, look, he's just not that guy. Like, he's never been that guy. I don't know why people are expecting him to all of a sudden be that guy. And I think that maybe unfairly so, uh, everybody, once David Ortiz retired, put that leadership role on Dustin Pedroia's shoulders. And like you said, he's just not going to be that type of leader. Um, So maybe it's completely unfair to expect him to be. Yeah, the, the, that that particular form of leadership does not seem to be one Pedroia wants, seeks out, um, or really is good at. I mean, you know, he can he can. Uh, he, I think if he was good at it, he might have diffused his own self-created situation during the Baltimore series, right? It's just that's not who he is, and 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 um, the lack of nuance in the discussion about leadership is probably in some respect what led to this, right? Everybody's like. Well, this is what a leader means, and it's it's just not that simple as, you know, leadership in baseball is X. It, it's more than uh, it's more than one variable. Well, let's move on to uh, baseball now here, uh, because <laughs> we have not uh, we've not actually talked about Rafael Devers, which I think is pretty important. Uh, Devers gets called up; uh, he's going to hit against right-handed pitching. Um, but then the Red Sox go out and they acquire Eduardo Nunez for uh, pitcher Sean Anderson and a uh, DCL uh, pitcher by the name of Santos. I can't remember his first name. I think maybe Carlos Santos. Um, and, um, you know, he comes into the equation now. And I believe it was Jen McCaffrey tweeted out yesterday that um, Dombrowski is not exactly sure what is going to happen, who's going to be sent down. Um, but Devers did hit that 427-foot bomb yesterday. Looks like a pretty good player, really what the team needs. Um, how do you feel this situation shakes out with Devers and Nunez in the playing time at third base? Gre- uh, Gregory Santos. Uh, I, Gregory but I will Santos. admit, I, I just looked it up because I had forgotten myself. Um, <laughs> so I don't see any way they send Devers down. I think this is a case where um, I mean, it just it would, it would be a stunning it would be stunning on a lot of levels. It would be illogical. It would be uh, brash. It, it would it would make Nebraska look hypocritical for bringing him up at all. Um, I, I just and and frankly, the production it, it comes down to the guy's upside is better than Nunez's, right? And and he looks it's two games, but he doesn't look overmatched at this point in time. Doesn't mean he won't look overmatched at some point in time, but you, you, you want to see what he can do, and maybe if that double A production, well, triple A as well. Can carry over. So my prediction would be, and we kind of touched on it at the start. You know, Marrero's out. I guess a tiny chance Holtz could be out. I just I doubt that. Um, maybe Bogarts the DL, something. But Nunez arrives, and you probably see a platoon, and you see Nunez maybe get more time at short if if Bogarts hurt or not um, doesn't pick it up. And you need, you need to spell Pedroia some, and he, you know, they announced it as a utility player. You don't want to read too much into a press release, but I think that's how he'll end up being used. He's filling the role that Marco Hernandez, Brock Holt, Marrero, any of these guys kind of ideally would fill, but nobody's been able to either stay healthy or hit in, and he has a track record of hitting. And then what that comes down to for me is if Devers falls off, if if you know, the production is not there. Platooning doesn't work out for him. Whatever, 
you do have someone you can plug in at third base and at least have some modicum of confidence and say, all right, this guy has a track record in the big leagues because they don't have anybody else like that, right? Certainty is the word I kept going back to at third base. There was no certainty. And that's true for Devers as well. You have no idea what you're going to get from him in August and September. And it's not like you can ever have full certainty, but as close as you can get to it, you have a major league track record in Nunez. So uh, a platoon is reasonable, and you can make the argument that, screw that, let Devers play every day until he shows he can't. But probably more realistically, Nunez walks into something of a platoon. Depending on what happens with Bogart, it's really, I think it really, whether or not they, they, they see some playing time there. Why is it that this organization tends to platoon guys when they bring them up? They did it with Ben Intendi last year as well. They didn't hit him against lefties. Um, you know, part of part of my worry when things like that happen, and if it, especially the longer it goes, is that you can kind of create an uncomfortableness against uh, lefty pitchers um, where there maybe isn't one. Why does the organization have that philosophy? Hey, that's a good question. Um... Farrell does seem to have a proclivity for it. I, you know, I, I don't know if um, it would be interesting to, to to compare it to other organizations if it really is any different or not. But you know, Benintendi's case, well, if you got a guy like Chris Young, I, I think it, it's just kind of a well, how do you best use your roster? Um, you know, Devers, the, the the complication there to me is. Yes, you want your new guy who's something of a veteran to kind of feel involved right away, but realistically, isn't this guy Devers? Isn't isn't that your ceiling is higher with him? Um, so it just becomes this balancing act. You know, I don't think they traded for a bench player, and it would just it would feel weird on some level if they approached it like that. But at the same time, in the back of my head, it feels like the right thing to do. Is, is let Devers show he can't handle it mm-hmm. as a full-time job. But I, 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 I don't have any greater answer than Farrell seems to like playing the matchup game. Um, sometimes, anyway, outside of those many times we've seen Young against a righty. And I, you know, last I'd looked, I think he was doing better against righties this year than lefties, strangely enough. But um, he does always seem to to angle that way, but um, in, in terms of the trade deadline here, have you heard anything else, any sort of rumblings as to where the team might be leading next? Do you think they're finished or do you think they'll look to add another bad or a relief pitcher here before the deadline on the 31st? Yeah, I think they'll get a reliever. I mean, a, a bat I think would be nice. I'm skeptical. It'll happen. Uh, I, I would have more confidence in reliever coming. I, you know, they, they, as far as a bat, well, what would you do? You'd have to go to first base, and then it's a bit of a roster jam. Can, you know, how do you work that out? Uh, if Moreland's not on the DL, it, it just becomes a tricky roster situation, but I, I guess you, you could find a way to do it. Um, it. You know, Nunez ended up being the guy because there wasn't, in terms of available third base options, it's not like there was a ton else out there. And, you know, I was told the Pirates hadn't decided whether they wanted to trade Josh Harrison. There was skepticism about Jed Lowry's defense at third, as well as second base. Zach kozer has got the health situation. You know, Yanjervis Solarte is coming back from an injury. You know, what's the certainty there? So it was kind of the the safe route uh, to take was, was getting 
Nunez. And I, I do think they need a reliever. I think they think they need a reliever too. The package that I've been continuously pushing on Twitter is a Lucas Duda, Addison Reed package. Do you think that that's yeah, at all possible? Yeah. Uh, you know, I saw Alex Spirit mentioned by sal- I, I, I'm going to rip him off here. He had said by salary it would still work. Um, so, so sure, as long as it's anything that's under luxury tax threshold, why not? It's just it's kind of unclear how how what level of prospect are they willing to part with. Um, you know, the the Nunez deal, you got one lottery ticket, one guy who probably becomes a big leaguer but might not have the greatest upside. Uh, but do they part with somebody who's a little closer and a little more highly rated, you know, on a, a, a Mata or, a, you know, I, I, would anyone feel uncomfortable trading Josh Akami? Um, Chavis, right? That, that seems to be a popular name now that Devers in the big leagues. I, it's just kind of a question of how much are they willing to give up, and I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, you 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 would think if if one of those guys would would have gotten it done, they would have gotten it done by now. But you know the reliever market, it's there's just more teams out there. But you've also you've seen some trades go down. It's not like everybody's now got this bottleneck waiting to the end. There has been movement in the market. So if I were a betting man, and I'm I'm not encouraging any betters who might have made it this far into the podcast to bet, but I I would think a reliever is coming. One did. <laughs> Brian, let me ask you, what would what would you like the Red Sox to do here before the deadline? Well, this, I think that uh, Evan is right on, and uh, given that he's a reporter and I'm a guy who sits at home and reads, I'm going to agree with him. I know that we talked about this on Twitter, and it's not going to happen, but we talked about, oh, Adrian Beltre would be great. You know it would be great? Yeah. Beltre and Andrews, because then you also have Andrews who will talk to the media, if I'm not mistaken, that he's uh, generally an affable guy. Maybe an attitude adjustment in the form of those guys, but it's not, you know, it's not going to happen. So, yeah, and everyone loves Beltre. I mean, yeah. after last night, he is, he's, his living God status is still unquestioned. Yeah. <laughs> Dragging the on deck circle is beautiful. Yeah, that video was amazing. Um well, uh I guess my last question before we let you go here, Evan, is in regards to the division. And with the Yankees having added some relievers, Todd Frazier, they look to be extremely active in the sunny gray market as well. Um certainly look like they're targeting a starting pitcher, uh nonetheless. How do you feel that the division shakes out uh, from this point forward? Do you feel like the Red Sox are still in a good position, or you know, if they don't make another move, are they in trouble? Um, I think it'll remain very close. It, it, it's just it's from a look perspective. If the Yankees get Gray, Frazier, Canley, Robertson, and all you have to show is Eduardo Nunez, and maybe you know, uh, you know, a de- decent reliever, uh, you don't feel great about it, but there's certain the Yankees pitching is, is, is a greater question mark, or at least the starting pitching is. Um, well, you would have to count Devers for the Red Sox, I think, too. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's you know, the way I put it when the Yankees made that trade is the, the Red Sox look powerless in the lineup, which they have been, and they're they're also powerless in the trade market. And that's that, that now that's true. It, it is a fact that compared to the Yankees right now, they have less power. They don't have the luxury tax threshold. They don't, uh, the luxury tax room they don't have the prospects to to deal but that's 
because and anyone would rightly point this out, and I, I'm pretty sure I did my story that they've you know they've already spent they've already taken their shots right they've they've taken their their three pointers with the trade market. Um, so now now you're just seeing another team in the division kind of reemerge, and uh, it, it just feels like a little bit of a balance of power shifting. You know that Cashman comment of the Red Sox are or Golden State. <laughs> A little ironic now. You wonder if Cashman kind of saw this coming potentially, but um, I, I don't think the Red Sox qualify as Golden State anymore. And uh, it was just a matter of time, really. It, it's just it, there's just kind of two teams at different points in their window, uh, as we like to say, the, the very um, ethereal uh, uh, window, uh, what, you know, whatever whatever it might actually be, and, and how defined it is, I'm not sure, but. Um, the idea that that, that there, there's a finite amount of time for this team to win, it, it would seen, it would if it would feel like the Yankees window is now um, opening. But you do look at the ages of the core, and the Red Sox do have a younger core. So I don't know, they'll they'll be, both be good for a while. How's that for a cop out answer? Hey, I'm looking forward to the, the rivalry actually having some juice now. And you know, I've 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 felt some hate in my heart for the Yankees lately when they got Todd Frazier. So I think that's a step in the right direction for sure. There you, you gotta, go. You got to stop hating the Red Sox, Jake, because you usually get mad at like, oh, Farrell, blah blah blah, Price. Yeah, take it out on the Yankees. Maybe that's what we all need. Maybe that's the big problem. I guess uh, I can give a hot take here. I think the team would be better if they fired Farrell. I think it'd be the shakeup that they need. I have never, uh, you know, I write that goofy column each week, uh, and I've never really um, thought that the that John Farrell – I mean, I always know that he, he's not the most comfortable manager. Oh, Sam, it's okay. Um, yeah. that. Uh, Funny timing. It's possible, but yeah, it, it certainly seems much more possible now than it has before. I would agree with that. It's just, you know, again, I was the guy last year that people love to harpoon because I would defend Farrell because I would say it's the clubhouse, and it's just, it's just pretty evident that, again, I'm not sure anybody could have the clubhouse under control, but I don't know how you can stand there right now and say, John Farrell has controlled this clubhouse. I, I don't know. It's not that there uh, is entirely lost control necessarily, but uh, it, I, I don't know how. Being a players how manager, and the players are taking like all of the rope. I mean, that's what it exactly. seems like. Yeah, yeah. It's I, very. I, I can't argue that. The whole situation is very, without getting political, it's just very reminiscent in sort of PR crisis mode and just moving the ball around as other certain current events. And if anyone listened all the way to this and wants to get mad, I salute you. So, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a zoo. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying it's a zoo. It's, it's just, it just feels like a crazy time. Well, we'll end with this question then, uh, Evan. Um, we have a, a Twitter question and it says, why doesn't Drellick man up and go into the octagon with David Price? Did oh, you I ever know think about that? Twitter users. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I went to Quaker school for high school and middle school, and uh, the Quakers are pacifists, so I would have to pass. Like, I don't think that would be – trying to maintain some sem some semblance of professionalism throughout this, and a fist fight or UFC-style match is not uh, not the way this gets resolved. Are they friends – were they called friends schools? Yes, my school was called Friends Seminary. 
with an association uh, to the Religious Society of Friends, indeed. Well, uh, with that, we will do some housekeeping here. Um, you can find Evangelic on Twitter at, at Evangelic. You can find Brian Joyner on Twitter at, at Brian Joyner. And please uh, tune into the baseball show, which airs Sundays at 6.30 on CSN. Uh, I know that Carabas is not going to be on that anymore. Do you know who's going to be filling in for him? Uh, sources say there will be some sort of rotation. At least that's a preliminary plan. Um, and I'm, I, I'm sure... Uh, baseball Prospectus Boston will uh, will throw its hat in the ring. Yes, uh, maybe, maybe we can make that happen. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it's that's the best I've got at this point. I don't have any names for you. Um, I'm not not holding out either. I just I haven't been told. We still have one more show left with Jared. So awesome. Yeah, he does a great. We'll enjoy job. him while we have. We'll enjoy him while we have. Um, you can uh, subscribe to the show. Uh, you can do so on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, you can rate and review us there. Please uh, go on and do that if you enjoyed it. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at DevJakes. So, Evan, thank you so much uh, for joining us as usual. Uh, this is always a treat to get to talk to you about the Red Sox. Um, so, yeah, we really appreciate it. No, thank you, guys. It's nice to have a long-form format. <laughs>